0: I remember that I am not just responsible for people, I'm responsible to people, I'm responsible to my family, my kids, my fellow soldiers and sailors and Marines, and all those warriors up and down the halls that were fighting their own personal battles, and they're not giving up. They're still in the fight. They got a different fight to fight, but they're still in it. And who am I to say that I've got some kind of monopoly on pain and I've got a good enough excuse to quit?
1: Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Aaron Hale, welcome to the podcast, man. It's good to have you here. Brandon, thanks for having me. Dude, I'm excited to dig into your story because I keep hearing how amazing it is, and I have not actually learned most of it. What I do know is that you were a Navy cook who became an Army bomb tech. I know you're a chocolatier. I'd love to hear about that. Uh, Real estate investor. An ultra runner, ultra marathon runner. I think you completed the Badwater 135. First blind person to do so. And at some point you went deaf. And I want to hear about that as well. So that's who you are today. But I want to know before that, take us back. Who was Aaron Hale before all of that?
0: Mm -hmm. It's very eclectic. You can maybe call me the blindest guy with shiny object syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The truth is growing up. I was, you could describe as the the all-American slacker. Mm. I had enough natural talent and abilities mixed with a, you know, flavored with a little BS to get by without actually having to try very hard or, you know, work <laughs> to get, get by. You know, B's and C's. I'm not talking National Honor Society or anything. But I could get by without having to do a whole lot. And then I got to college and everybody who knew how to work hard, passed me by really quickly. And I found myself out of school. Uh, it was a mutual agreement. I wasn't ready. They weren't ready for me. <laughs> and I needed those internal values, the intrinsic, of course, work ethic, but goals, achievement, something to strive towards. And the military did that for you. And of course, I needed to burn back all that tuition I wasted. Mm. So, The military did that too with the GI Bill. So I decided I was going to be a chef and join the Navy as a cook. I'd do some on-the-job training for four years, get out, use my GI Bill, and go to culinary school. Only eight years later, I'm loving being a service member, loving being a sailor. I got stationed. My first duty station was Naples, Italy. Mm. And I spent four years. I got to cook for a three-star admiral, the commander of the Sixth Fleet, as a personal chef. We sailed around the Mediterranean and pulled into all the awesome ports. Hardship duty, it was not. But I accidentally picked up those external values of service, you know, duty, uh, you know, love for being a part of something bigger than myself, and. Uh, before I joined in in 1999 and I soon found we all found ourselves in two different wars. Yeah. And even though I'm a service member, I'm doing my part. I'm technically deployed overseas. I wasn't in the fight. Yeah. In fact, I was on board the flagship watching the war unfold on TV like everybody else was. And I knew that with, with these Internal and external skills, all the things I've picked up, the, the way I'd matured and developed over the last few years, that I want to put my my skills, my talents, ability to a better use. I want to be a better service to the military and to the you know the cause. So I, d- I volunteered to deploy to Afghanistan as a Navy cook, cooking instead of you know, the uh, the admirality's top brass cooking for hundreds of NATO troops. Mm. It was kind of funny too. I'm in the middle of an Afghan desert and I actually got to cook for a couple of platoons of Italian special forces. So I got to use the lingo I picked up in Italy. <laughs> but that was when I met some EOD technicians, Explosive Ordnance Disposal, the military's bomb squad. And these guys had all of their gear dumped out of their truck and were doing maintenance on it, you know, testing batteries, cleaning, making sure the robots, the bomb suits all worked the way they were supposed to. It was like a cool guy yard sale. And I uh, I struck up a conversation with these guys and found out all about the, the tight-knit community, the brotherhood within the military, the uh, technical aspect of the job, finding, you know, rendering safe, disposing of all known munitions on the planet, everything from, you name it, bullets to nuclear weapons. These are the first responders, mm. the guys that go in when everybody else is running out. They take that long, lonely walk. And, <laughs> yeah, of course, that's exactly what I i knew I needed to do. Of mm. course, the when I put in my request to go from cook to <laughs> bomb tech, the Navy said no. They denied my request. I guess they like my cooking too much. <laughs> But I would not be deterred. And when I returned from Afghanistan, my enlistment, my contract was coming up to an end. And I could either re-enlist and stay a cook, or I could get out. And I decided to take my my service record. I walked over to an Army recruiter and uh, signed up. I changed uniforms, and I changed jobs. And I got to keep my rank, so I enlisted in the Army as a sergeant, and became training as an EOD technician deployed to Iraq once. And my second time to Afghanistan, I was an EOD team leader in 2011. And that's when I got injured.
1: So is that a normal, like, I've never actually heard of somebody changing from one branch of the military to another. Is that a pretty just rare occurrence? Or is that just something I haven't heard of?
0: It's actually pretty common, is it? Yeah, yeah, it happens uh, quite frequently, and it would have all sorts of different reasons for that. But one, for example, is the type of training or the type of job that might be offered.
1: Yeah. Like so one. how did you? I mean, you went from a relatively safe job and then said, "No, I think I want to go and do like the most dangerous job that I can think of." I mean. That's a lot of a lot more risk. Like, what was going through your head in that point? Like, did you think about the risk, the fact that you might get injured?
0: Absolutely, uh, of course. Uh, yeah, I would not be human if I didn't feel nervous or fear for taking on one of the world's most dangerous jobs. In fact, somebody sent me this email of something. It was like the top seven list of the scariest jobs in the world, and one was soldier, two was high-rise window washer, and three was bomb squad. And I thought, man, after I get out of the army, all I got to do is get a job washing windows, (laughs) and I got a hat trick. But (laughs) there are certain levels of risk that one takes, and you've got to do everything you can to mitigate that risk, but somebody's got to do the job. And there are there's these these few people that you name it I tell a lot of my friends that I, I went bomb squad because f- fighting fire scares the hell out of me <laughs> and it's true I would never want to fight fires mm. but there are thousands hundreds of thousands all over the the country the world that's what they're they do
1: yeah that's true so I want I want to get into the accident and uh what happened there But before we do I want to get to this week's show sponsor So every episode of this show uh, 100% of the ad revenue Goes directly toward a charity Of the guest choosing So I'll throw out The question at you Is where are we sending the money From this episode?
0: Building homes for heroes there are, uh, 501c3 That builds or renovates uh specially modified specially adapted homes for our nation's most severely wounded uh five you know gold star families and first responders i'm actually uh, a happy recipient as well
1: oh really interesting all right well thank you we will uh we'll send the money there and let's let's roll this week's ad so this week's sponsor is the better life tribe Uh, That is the accountability mastermind that we send 100% of all profits that we make over to the fight against human trafficking. We've got a 1,000 members working on goals, habits, actions, and accountability around building wealth without losing your soul. We would love to have every single person listening to this episode in the tribe. We do live events around the country around the year. We do weekly calls. I teach Financial Freedom Hour calls every single week where I'm talking about how to build wealth without losing your soul. If you want to sign up, just go to www.abetterlife.com. Again, that's abetterlife.com. Aaron, so let's talk about the accident. What happened?
0: I was eight months into a 12 month deployment to Afghanistan. I'm an army team leader uh, and EOD, and that's that's the guy that actually gets in the bomb suit, the highest ranking guy on a three person team. Mm. And I just got back off two weeks of R&R, leave, a vacation back home. And I got to see my my son turn one, my firstborn. I got to witness the whole family gather round for Thanksgiving as a family reunion, everybody. And I, I call it the, the best last page in the photo album. Mm i could possibly imagine you know and i was back in afghanistan my, my team picked me up in our armored truck i threw the backpack my, my luggage in the back on top of the robot and we jumped in a supply convoy to head back out to our area of operation where we were supporting and along the way the convoy commander called back and said there was something on the side of the road that he wanted me to check out so i threw the yeah, you know, the luggage off of the robot, the robot out of the truck, and it got to work. And what it found was what we've been finding everywhere all the time. Almost 98% of the time it was just a simple oil jug, like a vegetable oil jug, full of homemade explosives, a pressure plate of plywood, and a 9-volt battery connected by a lamp cord. Mm. So simple, so rudimentary and very effective. One of my uh, marine EOD buddies put it perfectly when he said every step you took in Afghanistan was a deliberate act and these things littered the ground everywhere. Mm. So um, we were very well practiced in this thing and I had the robot rip it out, rip it apart. Uh, But I wanted to get evidence on this thing because we're also like the CSI on the battlefield. We collect biometrics. the fingerprints out of the tape that kind of stuff and it couldn't get the the jug out of the hard pack earth so i jumped out of the truck no bomb suit because it was already rendered safe it's already separated no need to get into the bomb suit and i walked forward with my evidence kit in one hand my metal detector the other just in case there was something else under the ground and about 20 30 meters from the original id there was a secondary device Mm -hmm. that thing detonated pretty close to me it punched me into the air landed my knees and elbows my the lights went out my bell had gotten rung and but i was still awake i was still Mm -hmm. i was still conscious but i wasn't i don't know how lucid i was uh, the first thing I did was, of course, you know, functions check, wiggle the fingers and toes and knees and elbows and everything. Everything seemed to be more or less where I left it. Uh, and then I wanted to get back in the fight. So what I thought had happened when the lights went out is that my helmet had gotten pushed over my face. Mm. So and it was it was nighttime as well. So I mean, it was already dark and I just thought the helmet gotten pushed. So I reached up to fix the helmet just to find the helmet was gone. And that's when I I thought, oh no, this is bad. The Army's going to want that back. (laughs) 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 Uh, My first sergeant's going to kill me. (laughs) But I, I got up, and the military training just kind of it takes over, yeah. right? We've been we trained for these scenarios. If an EOD team leader goes down, we first pay attention to what's going on around us, the situational awareness. We, we observe, make sure there isn't some kind of an ambush coming and while everybody's looking at the thing, the blast that just happened. Uh, is somebody going to try to shoot? And then my team, their job is to clear a safe path in so the medics can get me out. I was still it more or less intact so i decided to get up and walk back towards the truck (laughs) only i couldn't see i had no idea where the truck was anymore so i'm just doing this zombie walk around the uh the battlefield and my team came you know, dragged me back and because i just left the airfield the medevac chopper was there in about 14 minutes and within 48 hours i was right back in the united states
1: wow like what happened to the i mean like we don't have to get graphic, but like what exactly happened? Was it bright light that made your eyes stop working or did you just get hit in the face with something or what happened?
0: You know, I don't know. It's, it's miraculous. The thing was buried in the ground, but it hit me in, almost entirely in the head. And, you know, us hail boys, that's a perfect place. There's no denser spot on my body. <laughs> but uh, the blast had somewhat come from my, my right side. So it had crushed my cheekbone and pushed up the ocular orbit, and actually my eye was gone. A piece of blast frag had gashed across the bridge of my nose and and gashed the left eyeball. The doctors would try to fix that at Walter Reed, but they wouldn't be able to. Mm. I had scrapes, cuts, burns, all that kind of stuff. I'm picking gravel out of my gums for weeks, and I had... it, it, it. blew out both my eardrums but I could still hear at that time. I'd lost some of my hearing but I was still capable of hearing fine without hearing aids. Mm. But it also cracked my skull, my sinuses in a couple places. I was leaking spinal fluid right out my nose. The doctors did everything they could to patch me up and they took a piece of my septum and used that to patch the crack in my skull. Unfortunately, we find out a few years later that it either opened again or hadn't ever been completely patched.
1: Does that mean it was continuing to leak?
0: Well, once I was I was all healed up from at Walter Reed, they really didn't have much for me to do. Mm. We've gotten really good in the last few decades at uh, keeping our soldiers, our, our service members alive, you know, prosthetic arms and legs and all of that but I didn't I didn't need any of that yeah and they couldn't transplant whole eyes so yeah. they had nothing for me to do so or nothing to do for me and I, they sent me to a blind rehab school at the VA Hospital in Augusta, Georgia. I learned how to use all those tools, my talking phone accessible computer and learn how to how to live as a blind person.
1: Were you married at this
0: point? I was married at this point.
1: Okay. I guess. How did that affect your home life? How did that? How did you deal with that? I guess went, going transitioning back at home from the military back to
0: home. At first, I mean, imagine I was not very pleasant to be around. Yeah. At first, and I was. I was in the. I was at Walter Reed. I was in the the hospital bed, and it was just a couple of days, weeks after the blast, and all those things, all the the negative thoughts and questions just bouncing around in my head. And as an added a bonus gift with complete total blindness, you also get a sleep disorder called non-24. And that's when you can't reset your circadian rhythm. I know you were talking about uh, that with Mike Lee not too long ago. yeah. And that's just when with the changing of different you know, light patterns with the sun coming up and coming down. But how about if you never get to see the sun again it's kind of like living on a 26 hour clock where every once in a while it just gets totally out of whack and i would spend all night long all those wee hours when the hospital was nice and quiet just inside my head yeah and it was why me what if i'd done something else why me what what if and all those questions that you have no answer for yep and on top of that you've got family to deal with and the concerned people around you, the doctors, and it's just, you know, chaos. And it was a lot for me to deal with. It was a lot for my wife to deal with, and she wasn't, wasn't prepared for that. Mm. And thankfully, though, I was able to get my own head right, right there at Walter Reed before I left. Fortunately for me, one of my good friends, uh, got injured just two weeks before me. And this guy had lost one of his legs below the knee. And Kyle came wheeling into the the hospital room. And he goes, Hey, Hale, give me your hand. Like what? EOD text? I don't know what the... the, (laughs) And he goes, give me your hand. You got to feel this. Oh, what is happening now? And he puts it up under his chin. And I could feel two weeks of growth, right? <laughs> he goes, the Marine EOD techs, they got this liaison guy. As soon as they come out of ICU and they, he says, how are you feeling? If they say good, which they have to the Marines, he hands him a razor and said, get back into regs. We don't have one of those liaisons, dude. It's driving the Marine EOD techs nuts that I'm growing my, where all of us army guys are growing out our beards. you got to grow yours out too. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but laugh. I didn't want to, I was sitting, I was wallowing, but it got me to jump tracks a little bit, my course of, you know, the train of thought, mm. right? And I remembered that I am not just responsible for people. I'm responsible to people. I'm responsible to my family, my kids, my fellow soldiers and sailors and Marine and, and all those warriors up and down the halls that were fighting their own personal battles and they're not giving up they're still in the fight they got a different fight to fight but they're still in it and who am I to say that I've got some kind of monopoly on pain and I've got a good enough excuse to quit I got to get back into it so if I'm going to be the blind person for the rest of my life I'm going to be the best damn blind Aaron Hale I can be. And I got after it. Unfortunately, not everybody was on board. Within a couple of years, you know, it, it, it was never a very good relationship to begin with. But after a couple of years, I was divorced.
1: Mm. Can I ask you a few questions about uh, life as a blind person? I'm, I'm curious. You know, It's not often I get to talk to somebody who doesn't have sight. So specifically, I asked you, the first thing I asked you when you showed up today was, uh, you grabbed your cell phone, and I was like, "How do you use that thing?" So I mean, you know, I know now, but like, can you explain to people how do you how do you use your cell phone? How does that work? And then I'll ask you a few more.
0: Well, it's 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 actually pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't know about the other uh, manufacturers, but I've got an Apple iPhone and Mac, you know, yeah. products, and uh, it's built right into their operating system. So everybody's got this voiceover, and it, simply put, it's text to speech. But it's a lot more than that. It will describe things on the, the screen. It'll actually describe what it recognizes in objects or images, stuff like that. But it does, it kind of uses like the, the Siri voice to read whatever I want it to. And what's pretty cool is that I've got Bluetooth to my, my cochlear implant. So nobody has to listen to all that right. chatter on my phone. I can turn the screen off. And still use the phone, so it's like blacking out. You know how you you can turn the yeah. the the brightness. Up. I could turn the brightness down to nothing, yep. and still use my phone because I don't need that. And I can I can use my phone. In fact, I can because of the the hearing link to my cochlear implant. I can listen to a podcast in my pocket while I'm you know cooking dinner. Yeah. Uh, so it's it it. it <laughs> It's pretty funny when you you know, I got my my hands you know deep in like a pile of chicken or something, and my kid comes up and taps me on the shoulder. I'm like, "Ah, Hold on, (laughs) because I can't hear him. I'm listening to you know, better life or something. And I gotta go wash my hands, I gotta drop my hands off, and I'm gonna turn the Bluetooth off. And I'm like, What's up, kid? He's like, Daddy, can I play outside? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes, okay. And then I get back into it and turn, like, turn the radio, you know turn the, the, the audiobook or whatever back on. And I get back into it and another kid comes up and taps me on the ah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's great. I mean, w- there's a lot of uh, accessibility tools out there, different methods. And that was the whole, that's like the whole point of it is that I lost my eyesight and later lost my hearing, but you just got to, you got to carry on. You know, we're, we're all put into hard and difficult places, but we have to learn how to, you know, we pick up skills, we get educated, we figure out ways. And was the the Jim Rohn quote, I'm terrible quotes, was like, the success will find a way. Everybody else finds an excuse. excuse yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's it. I just, you, you find ways and there are tools or people you just got to, you know, gather all the resources you can and do the best with what you got.
1: How about travel? How are you? Tra- how do you travel by yourself? I mean, you came out here, <laughs> like you're yelling out in the airport, like somebody get me to a gate. Like, how's that work?
0: Well, I could fill a whole stand-up (laughs) skit with, with, you know, air travel and, you know, RMFE, rolling my fake eyes. With how the airlines deal with a blind person. For one, there's like one checkbox for handicap, So they always bring a wheelchair. And (laughs) and I'm getting off the plane, you know, having just run like a hundred mile ultra marathon. I'm like, wheelchair? Yeah. (laughs) I just, do you know what I just did? I just ran a, what? wait. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, take the chair. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I just ran out a hundred mile marathon. Give me that thing. But uh, <laughs> but it, the funny thing is too, is that I'll say, I don't need a wheelchair and like you don't want a wheelchair? I know what you're talking I know what you're saying. I don't want assistance. No, I want assistance, but I don't want a wheelchair. It it totally confuses it, them. Yeah. I don't need wheels. So you don't want a wheelchair. I'm like, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, <laughs> you know, I fly with one carrier and they you know, I fly the Dustin Walton Beach Airport, they all know me by now. Mm. And you know how you have a certain way of packing your bags yeah. and a certain you know ritual you do when you go in you you get into a hotel room. It's the same thing, just a couple of different it's a little different for me but it's you just get into a routine and it becomes second nature
1: can you cry
0: yes yes i can you still Um, have two ducks and well see because tears don't come directly from your eyes the the orbits are like the inside of your cheek Mm. right and where does the saliva come from it does the mucous membranes around and the only thing is i don't blink Mm. so instead of blinking away the dirt and the, the tears, it kind of dries off and gets kind of gokey. You know, it's a little weird and gross, but uh, I just wipe <laughs> it off. But some sometimes my wife is like, you better, you better wipe your eyes before you turn, you'll start that podcast. <laughs>
1: Do you have hope or expectation that technology is getting to a point where you'll be able to see again? Will they be able to plug into your you know nerves at some point and, and see things?
0: You know, uh, with anything else, uh, I have an optimistic faith that medical science will get there. I'm not putting a date on it. Although I read an article that they are making headway with whole eye transplantation. Mm. I mean, they do already transplant corneas and, and stuff like that, but they can't do the whole eye. They can attach the muscles and the blood vessels and all that. But the optic nerve is one of those central nervous system lines. And, you know, you burn your fingertips and you burn the nerves in your fingertips and they grow back and you can feel again. But if you break your back, that's it. All right. They don't, the the nerve endings, the, the nerve doesn't grow back. Well, they've had success transplanting in uh, whole eyes and rats using, it's like a nerve anti, it's like an MS drug, anti-deterioration, but they said within 10 years, and it would be a real thing in humans. That was in 2014. Mm. So I got their phone number.
1: Yeah, next year, man. It's yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm like, time's up, bud. You know,
1: but. Do you think that makes it harder? Like, are you expecting it because now you're like you're always wondering, or do you think that affects you negatively or positively? The fact that it could be a real thing at some point.
0: You know, I don't. I don't want to be cynical about it. I, I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, think about all the technology and all the amazing things that we've accomplished in just the last few decades. We're learning at, at an incredible rate, and we're they're doing doing amazing things. I just don't want to hold out the hope. Yeah, of of that happening and be disappointed. In fact, that's like the Stockdale paradox Vice Admiral Stockdale when he was a Vietnamese prisoner of war, right? He could tell when people were were like going to give up and they would die within days. And he said the paradox was that it was the hopeful that would die because they would put a date on being rescued. Like the Americans are coming by by Christmas and Christmas would come and go. So they just move back the date. They move the goalpost a little bit and say, OK, there will be we'll a rescue by Easter. And then Easter would come and go. So the hopeful, you know, that blind, uh, not to, to be, you know, forgive the pun, but it was the, the hopeful that they put their hope on a fictitious finish line. And when that evaporated, then they they lost their hope. So it's faith in a positive outcome while keeping one foot solidly in reality, Mm. right? So I have faith that it will happen, but I'm going to live my life the best I can with what I've got right now. That's beautiful, man.
1: All right. Let's talk about hearing because at some point you said you, you still had hearing when or after the bomb went off, but today I know you've lost it. So what happened there?
0: I've been blind for almost four years from the, the blast happened in 2011. And since then, after, after that, I I started running marathons I started climbing mountains, whitewater kayaking. You you imagine the pucker factor of not being able to see those rapids, but you can hear them coming, right? And I was just, I was was living this uh, life actually beyond what I'd even considered before I could, I lost my, my sight. 'Cause I wanted to go beyond a, the definition of a blind person, mm-hmm. right? I did I didn't want to be defined by it. I wanna be the blind guy named Aaron Hale. I wanna be Aaron Hale, who is may also is also blind, yeah. right? So I may have overdone that a little. <laughs> <laughs> so I started climbing these mountains. I was just talking to Diego this morning yeah. about climbing mountains in Peru and and I started speaking around the country and and, and telling my story about strength because of struggle and triumph over tragedy, not despite it. Right. And then, um, I, I like to think of God having the same soldier's uh, sardonic humor, right? <laughs> uh, a little bit of a cynic, you know. Like, like that, that that saying, you know, you want to give God a, a good belly laugh. Yeah, tell him yeah, your plans, yeah. and I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, and I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. And it was like, oh yeah, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you think you're you think you're so hot, and. You know, I told you about that that leak, the crack in my skull. Well, a path out is also a path in. And what got in was bacterial meningitis. Oh, no. And I was right back in the hospital, and it almost killed me. Actually, I came closer to death that time than I did after the bomb blast. And my family, they were making preparations, right? But the heavy doses of antibiotics and all that came to... I fought back the infection, but what I sacrificed along the way was the rest of my hearing. It stole what the, the bomb blast hadn't. Mm. And I was actually I wasn't even lucid for like the first four days. Uh, but when I came came to, I uh, I was in the hospital bed I, and it sounded like I was underwater. I couldn't hear. Almost anything. All the, the the voices sounded really muffled, and when the doctor said you told broke the news to me and told me what was going on because I had no clue. Uh, I'm like, doctor, you you telling me I'm gonna be 100 percent deaf on top of being 100 percent blind? Are you telling me that I'm never gonna have to pretend to pay attention ever again? <laughs> Silver lining to everything. Of course, I, due to the deafness, I couldn't hear my girlfriend at the time or my mom laughing about that joke, but I thought it was funny.
1: <laughs> How did you communicate during that time? I mean, if you can't hear and you can't see, like, what were they doing to communicate with you? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's another one of those, you know, side thoughts, they I really should have learned braille. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's it's a dying it's a dying skill, a dying art mm. because of all the technology. Braille is this whole another language code. Uh, it's a genius to have been invented by a nine year old. But I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, Louis Braille, nine years old when that started. Mm. But my wife Michaela began writing every single letter of every single word that she or anybody else needed to communicate to me on the palm of my hands. It had to be in like block capital letters because, you know, yeah. soldier. <laughs> but that's, it was, it's the, imagine how it, tedious and yeah. frustrating that was. But that was the only way for over six months. I mean, there was a chance I could get some hearing back with a cochlear implant, which is covered up right now. But I first had to you know, the heal from the infection. And then they were gonna put one in my right side, which is the most more damaged side. You gotta get the surgery, gotta let the surgery heal. Then you gotta get the outside processor that looks like a hearing aid, and you gotta get it tuned in. And it's like hitting a bullet with a bullet because you've got to tune this thing in, and your brain has to learn this whole new digital signal because my ears are turned off. It's not a hearing aid, it doesn't send sound down the ear hearing canal. It actually goes to this implant that's an electric tether, just goes right to the auditory nerve and sends a digital signal so it's amazing the technology and now like i said you got to get it tuned in and you got to get used to that and learn how to hear that and then you can put more information and it's it's like graduating up to going going from primary colors and going to secondary and tertiary colors every time you get tuned in but then that thing is Bluetooth connected to my phone, yeah. to my computer. So I can actually hear where 50, 60 years ago, I'd have been, been full, pulling the full hell of color. Uh, <laughs> and, and I can do Zoom calls. I have my own <laughs> podcast. And I talked to a guy in Romania the other day. And it's amazing. It's, a, of course, in 101 ways I can screw something up. Mm. But it's amazing. And I'm very grateful. It's nothing like the real thing, but it's a way better than the alternative.
1: Yeah, what, I mean, you hear, is it like, I mean, my my brain goes to when I think of digital signal, like the matrix kind of sounding like, you know, metallic-y. Like, is it like that or is it? You know, it's, it's,
0: because I'm also blind. And it's so funny when somebody says, it's a lot easier to learn how to hear when you can read lips at the same time. Like, thanks a lot. (laughs) But imagine calling a friend, they're at a restaurant and they put you on speakerphone and drop the phone right in the middle of the table. Mm. That's what it sounds like. Uh, it, it's almost like trying to figure out what's going on in the kitchen through the drive-thru speaker. You know, it, it's got that digitized kind of scratchy, yeah, almost tunnel-like metallic sound. Again, better than nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you get bored? What I mean by that is most people just suck their time with scrolling Facebook and TikTok or looking at the sunset or... You know, like, how do you, like, do you ever feel bored because you can't do those distracting things that we all do?
0: Well, how many, how often do you hear somebody complaining about, you know, all the time they spend on binge watching yeah. television or scrolling or watching TikTok and how much, mm-hmm. how what other things they could have been doing that's much more productive or healthy? Yeah. This guy? Yeah. <laughs> cured. Yep. Totally go. I went cold turkey on television, movies, uh, video. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of stuff every once in a while. I look, you know, all the time I actually, you know, think back to some of my favorite movies or TV shows. And I can quote some, you know, the dumbest guy movies out there, almost verbatim. But I don't spend time on that. Instead, I spend time playing with my toddlers. Mm. And I cook and I create new things for the fudge company. And you know, I don't make all the fudge in the, the kitchen anymore. But the, ha- the the home kitchen is the the R and D lab. Yeah. And I love to cook and I love to listen to audiobooks and podcasts. And there's just so much more to do and more time to do it that I actually think now that I I wouldn't I wouldn't have time in my life for tv or movies or you know instagram so yeah i'm thankful for that yeah. i'm getting more done
1: well let's talk about the the cooking a little bit and the, and the fudge company where did that come from where did the idea of i'm going to start a chocolate company well so how'd that come from
0: <laughs> can you imagine again after the coming home from the hospital you know the, the bacteria the meningitis again i was not a very happy camper. i've lost uh, yet another sense i'm going senseless (laughs) and in fact just like the blindness had a a bonus gift the hearing loss had a bonus gift now i also lost the inner ear uh, sense of balance the vestibular balance so not only was i blind deaf have a sleep disorder and not very pretty but (laughs) i also came home in a wheelchair where not you know, a few weeks ago, I was running marathons. So I'm sitting there at my breakfast bar, you know, the kitchen counter, actually holding all onto the counter so I didn't fall over. And again, thinking like, why me? And this time it was, it was like, when's enough enough, right? When have I paid my dues? When is this soldier you know, paid his fair share, right? And all the wrong questions. You know, it was, why, why is this happening to me when I should have been asking, why is this happening for me? And I thought that, you know, funny joke about God going, all right, put your money where your mouth is. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to, you know, do it again. And it wasn't my first rodeo, but I needed to figure out what I could do. Instead of saying I can't, I started thinking, what can I do? And I still knew how to cook. And Thanksgiving was around the corner. Uh, Apparently, that's like the benchmark holiday for all these things happening. And I love Thanksgiving. I mean, one, it's a reason to gather all of your favorite people and family around the table. (laughs) And it's a reason to eat like an absolute glutton. Uh, My two favorite things. I love that, too. (laughs) Uh, I love to eat. That's why I run. But... uh, (laughs) I decided to th- just have an enormous feast. I just made, you know, like a couple different turkeys and all of the fixings. I made all these vegetables, I made, like, t- turned them totally unhealthy. And I started cooking all these desserts weeks in advance. Cookies, cakes, pies. I just put them in the freezer and do another something. And I started making batch after batch of fudge. And I was I was, I'd do one batch, and then I would I like like let's throw some some nuts in there, and I'll do little spices. I'll go to the liquor cabinet, a little bit, <laughs> and and my wife, Michaela, no- says she noticed two things. One was a smile on my face that she hadn't mm. seen in like six months. I was having fun, and two it was uh, the fudge was piling up. So she decided that she, she was going to sneak some out and give it away. Like, you got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. <laughs> Hope he doesn't see me or hear me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah Honey, I'm throwing this out. What? So she, she was giving it away to friends and neighbors. Somebody would have a, a birthday party or a, a a baby shower or something. And they started coming back and saying, hey, could we buy some of this from you? and the capitalist enemy said well of course you may and one thing just it's just, like oh, it snowball right it, one thing after another and all of a sudden we have this fudge company extraordinary delights or eodfudge.com <laughs> and
1: <laughs> eod that's funny
0: yeah well you know it was it was great it was something to do right and this kitchen therapy Yeah, apparently I needed a lot of therapy. It turned into a business and that became a passion project. And we started actually, you know, making it a success. But we soon had to think, okay, wait a second. I did not want to do this kitchen therapy like 12 hours a day and stand behind a a stove. And my thoughts of, you know, standing behind a register at a brick and mortar shop, you know, selling fudge. That's my idea of hell. (laughs) So, um, but I love to cook, and I love to—I don't know if you noticed—I like to talk about stuff. Mm. I love to tell stories. So we we hired a you know the larger candy company to make all of my recipes. I still get to create, and it's just like hiring—it's hiring you know labor outsourcing all the supplies, all that. It's like our company, but it's over here. Yep. And just a bigger candy company that also does our our fudge just the way I want to do it. And I became a marketer. My wife and I started marketing EOD fudge.
1: And how do you market it? How do you sell your fudge? Where do people hear about it?
0: Well, you know, most mostly it's just social media, word of mouth. And... We do a lot of Facebook. During COVID, actually, we started a TikTok a video, Aaron Hale's Cooking Without Looking. Oh. And, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, we just found out that if you stay consistent, it didn't matter how terrible I messed something up in the kitchen, which is frequent. No, I debate, I am blind or deaf, but it just stayed consistent. And Stay in front of our our fans. We grew that TikTok to 150,000 followers within a year. And of course, after COVID and real world, you know, real life started again. We, We paired that back to just a few videos every now and then, but that's how we market. And it wasn't about, hey, look, we have fudge. It was, hey, here we are and we're making a life of this. And of course, that turned into me starting a podcast where I'm you know, sharing my perspective and other perspectives of, you know, how they're, they're handling life and how they're making it a, making a go of it and becoming a success.
1: Yeah. So where did real estate come in? I know you've done some real estate investing. Where'd that come in?
0: Well, we actually were fairly surprised at our success in the first few years of the, you know, doing this fudge company and we started making money you know making some revenue so we just wanted to start investing that that revenue you know take active money and turn it into passive money but of course i actually started over on the the stock market side and but i wanted to do this value investing right i wanted to buy something quality at a discount and and let it grow in value but what i found out was that reading stock perspectives and and was just totally boring. Mm, So I looked to real estate. I found this really great podcast called Bigger Pockets. Best show of all time. <laughs> uh, and i started learning and i blame you <laughs> for the shiny object thing oh yeah it happens I because just love that he hasn't blamed anything ever in the, since this entire story but he <laughs> blames you for something yeah no because every episode somebody's doing something different in oh, real no. estate and i'm like that is awesome i want to do that so it was like trailer park storage burr, short-term rentals long-term midterm, all of it i loved it and i was interested in it and that made it more fun and we our first investment this is great <laughs> for a blind deaf guy out of state from an online auction burr <laughs> with hard money wow look at you and, and it turned out exactly like you would think it would <laughs> but it was in 2019 we were riding that wave up and it definitely bailed us out we we bought it for about sixty five thousand. Budgeted about fifty thousand for the rehab. It turned into one hundred thousand. We didn't put it in an LLC when we, like, like this, did the the profile and the auction website. Yeah. So it wasn't an entity on the contract, and they wouldn't change it. So hard money wouldn't lend to a person. Mm. So we had to go all fudge money, mm. and ran out. So all along the way, found a private lender on Bigger Pockets. And got it across the finish line, and it actually turned out to appraise much higher than we originally estimated. It rented for much more than we originally estimated. We got to cash out almost all of the equity that we put into it, and we started doing it more—no more auctions, but mm-hmm. we we still do the burr stir, you know, the, the short-term rental uh, yeah, after you know fixing it up. And we do this in Akron, Ohio, and uh, it, it's a secondary, tertiary market with a nice, um, you transient pop, you know, traffic. So it's not a vacation place that has seasons; it's just pretty steady throughout the year. And we're about to well, we've we've actually got a couple projects going on right now in Florida, near, closer to where we live.
1: You said the burster, you know, bur short term rental. I've never heard that phrase. Is that a phrase people talk about, or is that, did you make that up? Actually, I mean, I'm, I'm in the um, real estate world, and I have not heard burster, but I like it a lot.
0: I think you know, I think I heard it first from David Green. Really? Well, he he would go burster, which is B R R R S T R, or what was it? Air Bur and B or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh But yeah, beat, I just like Burster.
1: Burr, air burr, and burr, and
0: That's a that's a long bee, acronym. Yeah. yeah,
1: David Green's on island right now too. We should uh, call have, call him, have him come over. You should text him, see if he'll come over.
0: I made it up myself.
1: Okay, we're gonna go with that. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, man. That so? What do you do? What do you like? What's your portfolio like today? What are you trying to get it to? Like, what's the real estate world look like for you?
0: Well, along the way, we found out that, of course, from the very first one, we run out of our own capital very sure. quickly. Uh, we cash flow very nice, nice on the, these properties, but we learned to do the private money lending yeah. a little bit better. And what I love about this is, it's like win-win-win-win-win all the way around. So we're fixing up these, these places. We're buying them from people that are having a hard time and one for one reason or another. So we, we get them out of trouble. We fix up the house and raise the value of the neighborhood. We're providing jobs. You know, for contractors and agents, and, and we're making money for conventional lenders on the back end. We're also making money for passive investors on the front end. I mean, this is, and we're we're, we're becoming these hospitality yeah. people, and it, it's 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 so much fun, and we just want to continue to do that. What I really enjoy doing is putting the whole puzzle together, mm. right? Still with like reading prospectus or you know profit and loss or t12s cuz we do we do like the multifamily side but reading a spreadsheet for me is like playing minesweeper mm-hmm. on the computer <laughs> no thank you i don't want to do that and somebody else could do it 10 times better than me even if i did like it yeah so what I like to do is connect the, the, the contractors and the, the housekeeping staff, the man, the property managers, the project managers, bring them all together and, and say, this, here's the next project. Let's get this thing through this stage and this stage, and we'll set this up. And I just like lining up the dominoes uh, and I like talking about it. And I love to share with others and show others that, you know, you don't, you don't need a lot of money. To get started in, in in real estate and and become financially free. That's what gets me, you know, kicking the sheets off in the morning and uh, not waiting for opportunity to knock. I, I said, don't don't wait for knock, opportunity to knock, kick the door off the hinges. Mm. And um, yeah. I'm excited about all of it.
1: I love it. All right. One more topic before we start moving toward the ending segments, but I want to talk about running for a minute. It's not often I hear about somebody who's blind and deaf running. How do you do that? How do you run 135 mile and I mean this morning you went running, I know like how do you how do you run and not run in the traffic?
0: <laughs> you gotta have a long cane <laughs> okay. <laughs> actually, it's pretty simple. We, we, I just use a, a tether, and you could literally use anything you want. And, and I hold on to one end, and my guide will hold on to another end, okay. and I run with a sighted guide. Mm-hmm. I, I actually started off with one of those dog tug-of-war ropes with a knot, and I would hold a knot, yeah. and my guide would hold a knot, and I just go where that, that tether goes. Now it's just like a piece of nylon webbing, like a backpack strap. And I've got a couple loops sewn in there. So I put a couple fingers in there. My guide has a couple fingers. And literally, we could run for hours without saying a word to each other. I just I get, but you know, I can run just like anybody else. Mm. When it comes to ultra marathons, like, you know, running the Badwater 135, that was one of those things where uh, we got there two days before the race start. And we wanted to get the whole crew together, and I you know, had a couple guides switching out, and we we learned almost immediately that we couldn't do the side by side thing. It's single track the whole way. Um, there's about six different governing agencies watching the safety because it's all on the road the entire way, mm. and you cannot cross the white line. So you have about a foot and a half between that and, and you know the dirt scrabble. So. We had to go single file and we had to come up with, I don't know if it was an entirely new method, but it was entirely new to me. So we had to invent something new. And um, I had trekking poles, the same trekking poles I used to take in the mountains. We, I would give the tips of the trekking poles to my guide who we, had, we taped the, uh, the tips to the Pacers bib in front. And I just, it would, the, 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 poles would almost bracket me in. So I wouldn't oh, sway. Yeah. And then here's the coolest thing. Not only did we figure that out, but from about a decade of running with my arm, almost almost I always cocked at a 90 degree angle. Now from that tether, yeah. and I developed, uh, knots in my shoulders, pain up in my neck and all that. So with, I took the, the trekking poles, the movement of my, my guide's hips, would move the poles like like the horizontal pistons, and I actually had natural arm swing for the first time in a decade, oh. and no shoulder pain at least. But that was that was a pretty awesome outcome. Yeah,
1: that's awesome, man. Any tips for people who want to become long distance runners? How do I become a long distance runner?
0: You know, in two thousand seventeen. After I got the cochlear implant, I got back up on my feet. I learned how to walk again, and I learned how to run all over again. I qualified for. Uh, I went to my actually went to my hometown marathon, Akron, and for my first marathon, uh, uh, back from the illness, and it was pretty cool. It was the fastest race I'd ever run. My first sub four hour marathon, and it also happened to be my High school 20th reunion mm. which is a kind of kind of cool homecoming but then that race qualified me for boston so i got to run boston again Oh, that's cool and it was at that time i decided it was it was like one of those things okay i kind of made it to the super bowl of marathon running and uh, should i try to go faster or farther and i have a bunch of friends who like to run ultra marathons and i thought let's just keep going and i love the challenge of testing myself. And Brody Fawcett yeah. talked about what it does for him. And it's the same for me. They say in a marathon, 26.2 miles. After the first 20 miles, you're halfway there. Mm. And it's getting past the physical to the mental. And for an ultra marathon, after you get your pace and the food and the hydration and the salt and all that dialed in, that race is all a mental game. I mean, you can prepare prepare, but then you're in your head for a hundred miles or further, and that's uh, I call them my demons. Those voices in my head. Every time I run into hardship, the voices of doubt, of fear, of shame, mm-hmm. anger—all those things. That little devil on your on your shoulder that says you cannot withstand the storm. And I want to invite him back because I want to say I was I was expecting you. <laughs> I was ready for you, mm. and, and that voice. It's not, it's not the devil. It's not a little demon. That's you. That's your voice in your own head. And I want to tell myself that I am strong enough, and I, I am good enough, and I can withstand the storm.
1: Yeah, love it, man. All right, well, let's shift to the next segment of the show. This is the three, two, one pivot. So the idea of a pivot, meaning your life was going one direction, and you shifted direction because of something that happened to you. So we're going to start with books, three books that changed the direction of your life, or three pivot books.
0: The book on no and low money. Dad yeah. poured out. Uh, yeah. No, it's good. I, I mean, those are great, great, <laughs> great books. Uh, Come on, H- man. Horton, here's a who. That's a good okay, one. Okay, uh, yeah. Okay, so the 15 commitments of conscious leadership.
1: Whoa, whoa, hold on. 15 commitments, and it's
0: great. I mean, conscious it's, leadership. Okay. At, at first, it starts off with this image of uh, above or below the line, and it's kind of like the growth versus Fixed mindset. Yep. If you're above the line, you're acting with curiosity and interest and and an ability to learn and grow. If you're below the line, then you're acting out of fear or a fixed mindset. And then it goes through like the very first one I believe is is responsibility, like radical responsibility. Almost like was it, extreme ownership. Yeah. yeah. It, and it just goes through communication and all these things that it takes line by you know, rule by or or commitment by commitment of how to be a good leader, but it's not just a business book. It's like the, it was a, Jordan Peterson's uh, rules for living. Yeah. It's how to be a good person. It's how to treat others with respect and yourself with respect and integrity. It's a good, It's a really good book.
1: That's cool. I had not heard of that one. All right, what else?
0: Of course, one of my favorites and probably a little cliche because it's it's, it's a great book is uh Man's Search for Meeting. Yeah. Of course, Dr. Frankel wrote a book that he he had already finished the manuscript before he went to the concentration camp. The Nazis took it away. And he rewrote the entire book while in a concentration camp, mm. experiencing all that, and kept it in his head until he could put it to paper. And one of the things he learned, and you can't really argue with his experience, is that humans have this incredible capacity for enduring if you've just got the right reason to and that kind of set my my mind in the right direction so that I could I could I'm not an extraordinary person I just placed in an extraordinary situation
1: mm.
0: the third one is any book that Brandon Turner has written thank you very much I really appreciate you coming
1: on the show today
0: yeah. <laughs> Third book. Um, actually, you know, tell the truth is the uh, book that I actually tell a lot of people to read is the book on managing rental properties. Oh, my wife will like to hear that. I love that. I, I listened to that book the first time and then I went back through and I, I wrote an outline. I didn't just take notes. I wrote an outline of the book and that became our standard operating procedure for managing our rentals. Yeah, we, we started off with long-term rentals and I just used that as the manual. Mm, I love it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. See,
1: Alex, my ego gets fed every episode. That's the goal here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The navy blue jackets, man.
1: Really what I'm doing is I'm paying every guest to give me one of my books. These are my friends. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Uh, Two people who have pivoted your life.
0: Also, maybe a little bit of a cliche about my mom. Mm. But she is, is the strongest people I know. And when I was injured, you know, it wasn't the first tragedy in our family. first, she'd been through a couple tough marriages and managed to be a great mom to three kids and raise us in relative comfort. And my brother, six years younger than me, was in a terrible, terrible roadside accident Mm. and was permanently injured spinal injuries, brain damage, all of that. And she had to nurse him back to health for like six months. And she practically moved into that hospital. So when she came into the room for the first time at Walter Reed, I I, I first, my first thing out of my mouth, my first thought was, I'm so sorry, mom. Mm. I did this to your other son. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, honey, not my first rodeo. And we'll be okay. We'll get through this. And she set the tone. And she's done that ever since. So, yeah, my mommy.
1: Love it, man. All right, what else? Another one.
0: I had this first sergeant when I first came out of the army. And he had this way of just not letting a single thing go. He wanted, he expected, and he gave perfection. And it wasn't that everything had to be perfect, it was that you had to try. You couldn't say that was good enough. Like good. No, you couldn't say good enough for government work, right? And this is, you know, EOD good enough doesn't count. You know, when we go to the EOD school, a uh, 84 on a test is a failing grade. Mm Because nobody wants a C student in the bomb suit. Yeah. And when I got to my first unit, my first sergeant, down to papers like the evaluations he would red mark like a, like a professor a teacher would put commas and better punctuation he said rewrite this and it was the same with everything and he was really my my guide in because like eod school is how you learn how to learn how to be an eod technician yeah. then you get to your unit and he was my teacher so he, he saved my life. He saved the, the lives of my my team. and he, he was an incredible, he was a great guy and an incredible mentor.
1: Love it, love it. What about a quote? What's a pivot quote, something that's changed your life a little bit?
0: You know, it's funny. It, there's something that's been burned in my brain forever and I repeat it all the time. And I, I don't know where it came from, who said it first, I probably read it off a meme. <laughs> <laughs> but it's maybe someday, The story of your struggle might be the blueprint for someone else's survival.
1: Ooh, dude. Can you say that again? That's so good.
0: I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) Maybe the story of your struggle might someday be the blueprint for someone else's survival.
1: That's beautiful. I really like that a lot. Life-changing, man. All right. Well, let's hit past, present, future. What is your advice to your younger self
0: keep it clean yeah (laughs) Um, lean into the difficult stuff and get started right away don't don't be afraid of failing and if you're feeling comfortable and, and bored that's when you bring hardship on yourself so get out there you know get fit get learn you know try something new but just don't sit still. Get off the X like uh, Jason Redmond says. Yeah, Keep moving.
1: Yeah. What's something you've done in the last 12 months that's given you a better life, that's improved your life? Could be an action, habit, a change, something.
0: um, 12 months ago I started my podcast and the best thing about that is that I get to talk to people much smarter than myself in a lot of different areas and I've been learning and I've been growing my own network, my own circle of people. I get to invite people and talk to them that probably wouldn't let me on my calendar unless I didn't, if, unless I had this podcast. And at the same time, I get to share it with the world. So you think about those questions that you would really want to ask, you know, that the people you most want to meet, and I get to do that. And I ask the people who are listening to me what they want to hear from them. And I get to ask for them. And I get to learn, share, and teach. Yeah. And I, I love to teach.
1: What is the name of the podcast?
0: The name of my podcast is Point of Impact with Aaron Hill. <laughs> I
1: love it, man. All right. What do you want your legacy to be? Meaning at the end of your life, when they talk about you and they say, oh, good old Aaron, he was what?
0: He gave freely of himself. Mm. He didn't hold anything back. And especially when I consider my, my kids, right? My three boys, I want them to point at me and say, my dad could do anything, no matter what.
1: I love it. Well, man, let's wrap things up. What are you excited about in the future? What's coming up for you?
0: Well, more of the same. I want to uh, continue to build the, the podcast build our portfolio, turn those into unrivaled successes and just, uh, you know, continue to be there for for my three boys and my wife and try to be the best husband and father I can.
1: Love it. And probably the most important question of the day, where do I get some of this EOD fudge?
0: Go to EODfudge.com.
1: Oh, e- easy to know. Okay, and where else can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you? are you active on social, et cetera?
0: Uh, easiest way is to find me on pointofimpactpod.com or on all of the you know podcast plat- platforms and YouTube. And you can link up with uh, social medias there.
1: Aaron, you're the best man. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. And uh, I look forward to, you know, continuing the conversation once we shut the camera off because we're going to hang out for a little bit. So, awesome. Uh, thank you, man. I'm going to get a fist bump from you. Are you ready for this? Ready? You got to lean way forward. It's a long table. Right there. Got it. Thank you. And that is the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on the show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback. And we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash best life. abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner. We're going